welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artist's relationship with anxiety, offering insight and inspiration. I'm your host, Allison Sheff. My guest today is therapist and producer Audrey Grubb. Audrey graduated from Lesley University with a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling and school counseling. She is currently working as an individual therapist at an outpatient counseling center in Massachusetts. Audrey is also the producer of the college edition of This Is My Brave, a nonprofit with a mission of ending the stigma around mental illness through live storytelling. Audrey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Allison. So tell us a little bit about your background and your relationship with anxiety. Yeah. So as you mentioned, my background is in clinical mental health counseling and school counseling. And my relationship with anxiety started as a kid. Um, I can remember moments as a young child feeling really afraid or keyed up and not really knowing why. I actually didn't even really know what anxiety was until I was 15. I remember writing a poem for English class and my teacher writing a comment back to me asking about why I was feeling anxiety. And then it started to click for me that there were actually words for what I was feeling and there were other people out there who also felt this too. I had a lot of anxiety around school and grades, and I felt like I needed to be perfect at everything. I also loved sports, um, but my anxiety really impacted my ability to play them because I was constantly in my head about messing up or telling myself that I wasn't as good as other people or that I couldn't do it. Anyone and everyone who knew me knew me as a perfectionist. I had a really, really hard time doing anything as a kid unless I knew that I was good at it. Hmm. So when I went to college, um, it was kind of like the perfect storm of events and life changes, and I developed an eating disorder. And my anxious brain convinced me that if I restricted what I ate and overexercised, that I would then feel happier and more successful and that I would be more in control of my life. But in reality, it did the opposite. Right. So I ended up losing a lot of people. I had to take time off of school. Um, I was destroying my body, and I was quite miserable. So as I started to work through my eating disorder, my anxiety got a lot worse. All of the thoughts and feelings that I was avoiding through my eating disorder came back. And I started obsessing about every little thing, like whether or not a stain would come out in my shirt or replaying conversations over and over in my head, thinking about what I could have said differently. Um, So I noticed that my anxiety shifted a lot over time. And I think it's helpful to think about anxiety as a shapeshifter and coming out. Yeah. And it coming out in different disguises until you really deal with the underlying issue. So like I mentioned, for me, my anxiety started as perfectionism and needing to be perfect at everything as a kid. It shifted to an eating disorder and trying to be in control of my life through what I ate and how much I exercised. It's taken the form of obsessively thinking about things I don't need to think about um, to avoid dealing with challenges in my life. And anxiety never really cared about where I was or what I was doing because Mm -hmm. it always found a way to fit into my life in a different disguise. Hmm. So once I was able to 
understand more about my anxiety. It's helped me better, be better able to cope with it, um, be able to live with it, and now channel it and help me when I work with my clients. Amazing. So you currently produce a show that helps people talk about their mental illness using the art form of storytelling. Can you tell us about This Is My Brave? So This Is My Brave was created as a platform for people coming together to share their mental health recovery stories on stage to open up the conversation about mental illness in order to end the stigma. It started with a single show in 2014, and it's expanded across the country and Australia since then. Last year, This Is My Brave launched a college edition of their traditional shows in Boston. I actually initially got involved with This Is My Brave as a cast member. My, okay. Yeah, so my brother and I auditioned for one of the regular shows several years ago um, and performed a song that he had written for me when I was battling with an eating disorder. And the song itself became a huge part of my recovery and my connectedness to my family. Um, yeah. So actually, so the lyrics of the chorus that we sing are, I can only fly if I can land. I can hold your sky within my hand. I can be your eyes if you're calling and I'll catch you if you're falling. That's really beautiful. Uh, my experience as a cast member um, inspired me to want to stay involved with This Is My Brave. So I ended up volunteering with them last year and I co-produced the spring shows for the inaugural college cast. And I am now the producer for the current college shows. Um, unfortunately, due to COVID, we had to postpone our fall shows, but we are currently working with our college cast on creating digital content to release to colleges for the fall, and we'll hopefully be able to perform next spring. Wonderful. Um, from a therapist's perspective, um, can you talk about how sharing one story can be healing and therapeutic? I think there are a lot of benefits of sharing one story. I think one of the biggest Things that we know about mental illness is that it often grows in secrecy. And because of the stigma surrounding it, people often suffer in silence, which mm -hmm. then leads to feelings of shame and decreased self-worth and just feeling really alone. Um, but by sharing our stories, we are making our internal experiences external. Um, and increasing our self-esteem, empowerment, helping process the experience, and decreasing the shame around it. Okay. So researcher Mary Leamy and her colleagues created a conceptual framework for understanding the mental health recovery process, which they've given the acronym CHIME. And okay. CHIME stands for Connectedness, Hope, and Optimism identity, meaning in life, and empowerment. Um, and so sharing your story on stage is or can directly fulfill each of these, right? So for connectedness, you become part of a community. You're, you become a part of a cast of people who are supporting each other through this experience. Um, you 
build connectedness with the audience members and other peers that are with you on stage. For hope and optimism, um, you build these hope-inspiring relationships with the people that you are sharing your story with. And you're also communicating hope for other people that are listening. With identity, you're working towards overcoming the stigma, building this positive sense of identity by reducing the shame around mental illness, conquering something that's incredibly difficult, and receiving positive feedback from the audience. Meaning in life, you're, mm-hmm. by sharing your experience, you are making meaning of the experience that you've gone through, your experience with mental illness, by saying it out loud to other people. And empowerment, this idea of like personal responsibility and finding control over the experience. Okay. Very cool. Patrick Corrigan has also done a lot of research on mental health stigma. And he's talked about both public stigma and this idea of self-stigma. Okay. Um, And he's explained self-stigma as... Becoming aware of the public stigma around mental illness, agreeing with this stereotype and internalizing it. So, for example, like I am weak because I have a mental illness, right? Like if there's a stigma that people with mental illness are weak, then Mm -hmm. the person believing it to be true for themselves. And his research has shown that one of the ways to decrease self-stigma and the negative effects that come with it, like low self-esteem, low self-efficacy. One of the ways to decrease self-stigma is through empowerment. And Mm -hmm. sharing one story on stage can be an incredibly empowering experience. Right. And I, I imagine not just, you know, on stage, but just in general, like finding a community that you can connect with. Yeah, absolutely. Of of not not necessarily like minded people, but of people who have have similar shared experiences. Yes. Um, how has your experience with anxiety informed your work as a therapist? So I think my experience with anxiety is a huge part about why I wanted to become a therapist in the first place. I became really fascinated with the brain and psychology once I started to learn about and cope with my anxiety. Okay, and I think. My personal experience with anxiety has enhanced my ability to connect with my clients. At the start of grad school, the first book that we had to read was called Letters to a Young Therapist by Mary Pfeiffer. Um, And one of the chapters in the book talks about resistance and therapy. Mm -hmm. And I just want to share a quote from that chapter. So she said, we all want progress, but we don't like change, especially change imposed from the outside. No matter how crushing our problems, we generally prefer them to uncertainty. And to a certain extent, we are our problems. To Mm -hmm. lose them is to lose our identity. I can definitely relate to this statement personally and professionally. From my experience with anxiety, learning how hard and scary change can be. Recovery being letting go of a part of ourselves that provided us with some level of consistency and comfort and certainty. Mm -hmm. 
So for example, in letting go of my eating disorder, I was letting go of being worried all day about food in my body. Um, And by letting go, it meant that I had to become an active participant in my life and face my fears and challenges because my brain was no longer being occupied by my obsessive thoughts. And, And my experiences have really allowed me to understand how complex recovery is and the barriers to getting better and how anxiety can be so much a part of ourselves that Mm -hmm. letting go of it can be more terrifying than living with it. And I think part of that too is acknowledging the ways that anxiety has helped me or helped my clients in addressing the fears of letting go of it. People get stuck and I've gotten stuck and understanding the fear of getting better has helped me better able to recognize this in my clients and help them work through it. Great. Coming up, Audrey shares some of her favorite exercises and we explore dealing with anxiety and depression during COVID. have you found helpful in dealing with and mitigating your anxiety? The first exercise that I want to share is called square breathing. This is a form of deep breathing. And sometimes when we're very anxious, it's hard to just simply take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. So other exercises that incorporate focusing on your breathing or focusing on something while you're breathing can also be helpful. So with square breathing, um, imagine you're tracing a square in your head. So you start in the bottom left corner, and as you trace the first line going up, you breathe in for four seconds, then hold for four seconds as you go across, breathe out for four as you go down, and then hold for four as you go across again. And then you keep repeating and tracing the square in your mind. And to give a little background on how this works, so anxiety is our biological response to danger, and this can be any real or perceived threat. So if we see a bear in the woods, we need to be able to fight it, run from it, or stay incredibly still. (laughs) And this response is called fight, flight, or freeze. So our body increases our heart rate and breathing and prepares us for battle. But one of the difficult things about having an anxiety disorder is that our body will create this physiological response even when we are not actually in danger. And so one of the things that breathing exercises can help with is calming our body's physiological response to our brain's perceived threat. When we practice breathing slowly and deeply, it can help slow down our heart rate and send signals to our brain that ultimately allow us to feel more relaxed. One of the most effective strategies in mitigating anxiety are cognitive modification strategies, which are implementing changes to our thinking patterns. And this can be done through cognitive behavioral therapy, which is an evidence-based treatment And it's shown to be highly effective in reducing anxiety and many other mental health conditions. CBT 
operates under the idea that our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are all reciprocally affect each other. Um, and so the way we think affects how we feel and behave. And the way we act or behave affects how we think and feel. And Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. So one of the strategies of CBT is recognizing our negative thought patterns and being able to challenge and replace them with more effective and rational thoughts. So for example, let's say you're invited to a party and you're telling yourself that, oh, I'm too awkward. People will judge me and I'll embarrass myself. No one will like me. That leads to feelings of anxiety and ultimately then you avoid going to the party altogether. Mm-hmm. So by directly challenging the thoughts, you can start thinking about, okay, so what's the likelihood of this feared outcome coming true? Mm-hmm. And okay, what if it does come true, then what? And are there other ways of thinking about the situation? Research has shown that through CBT, it actually changes our brain pathways and it can be very effective in minimizing anxiety. So going back to the sort of the quote that you had mentioned earlier about uncertainty and how we sometimes would prefer to stay stuck as opposed to moving on because there's some sort of comfort in the the known as opposed to the unknown. Mm-hmm. We're we're obviously living in very challenging times right now between COVID nineteen and the inconsistent leadership in our country. Yes. What advice would you have to those who are struggling with anxiety right now? Mm. Especially in relationship to all of those things, and especially because there is so much unknown. And yeah that we might be holding on or clinging to things that maybe are no longer serving us. Yes. Well, I think the first piece that I want to say is that it's okay to feel anxious and you're not the only one feeling this anxiety right now. So really allow yourself to feel the hurt and the anger and the sadness that's underneath all of the anxiety and surround yourself with the people who remind you that you matter. And even when you're receiving inconsistent messages from leadership, (laughs) you still matter, right? Like finding Mm -hmm. ways to stay connected with these people, with the people in your life that are important to you, reaching out to them, whether it's, I mean, right now it's hard to get together with people. So FaceTime, phone calls, finding ways to yeah, staying, stay connected to the people that are important to you. And I think staying informed, but not mm-hmm. over-informed <laughs> is <laughs> important. Like I think, <laughs> right, like when we're stuck at home, I think it's easy to just keep the news on or consistently check like what's happening in the world right now. And that feeds into the anxiety. So how can you stay informed about what's going on in the world right now, but not overdoing it. Right. And then keeping some sort of like routine or consistency, whether it's, you know, waking up at the same time every day or creating some kind of schedule or really anything that can keep consistency in your life, I think can be really helpful in terms of managing anxiety during this time. Right. 
Right. I found one of the things to be really helpful for me was I was doing so much emailing and I was spending so much time on my computer. Yes. And even though I was reaching out to people and I was, you know, we were having these great interactions, it just became a chore. And so just picking up the phone and actually Mm -hmm. making a phone call made a world of difference in my mental state as opposed to just emailing or just texting. You know, yes, yeah, that's and that was for me, but that's you know, sometimes just like even a shift in how you communicate can, yeah, can make a difference, which can be really hard, especially for people with anxiety. Sometimes it's really hard to pick up the phone and give someone a call, right? Right, yeah. So, if if you are struggling right now, um, I just want to say don't don't hesitate to reach out to someone, reach out to a friend, family, a therapist. We're all in this together and we're all here to support each other. I couldn't agree more. Audrey, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story. It's You have given us so much valuable information and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Allison. Um, and thanks for having me. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening and thanks to my guest, Audrey Grubb. For more information on the topics we discussed, head on over to our website, anxietyandtheartist.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share. Until next time, be healthy and stay creative. Anxiety in the Artist is produced by Grost Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Music and engineering is by Bosco Chef. This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.